The following podcast is rated R for really filthy. It includes adult themes and explicit content. So if you're an adult who happens to like themes directly targeting your sexy demographic, then get ready to join us as we ship it good. Due to the themes discussed on this podcast, it may contain potentially triggering content. Please visit our episode description to review the warnings applicable to this episode. So, <laughs> so since you love Wolfstar and Marauders in general, uh, how do you feel about time travel? And does picking Wolfstar um, like as a central limit or your app? Blah, 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 blah. Forget. Okay, I'm starting over. We're backing up. We're rolling back. That's, that's, that's too much Nathan in that question. Sorry, okay, sorry. Gonna... Yeah. Okay, I wrote the questions. It's you my did. fault. It is my fault entirely. <laughs> because what? Shit, this is what right. happens. Breathe, breathe, it's Ooh. fine. Look at the... Yep. <laughs> okay. You're on the cannon ground, I'm up in crack ship space. Let's start a shipping war, don't care if I get hate. Don't like my bearings, well then you can hit the bricks. This is my OTP, I'll go down with this ship. I don't care, I ship it. I don't care. I don't Hi, I'm Megs. And I'm Nathan. And welcome back to Care of Magical Shippers, a Harry Potter ship culture podcast. And this week we have a guest with us. We have a writer, reader, fan, a big black dog with here with a big black dog with us here today. And we are so excited to have her. Oh, we are so excited. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. Um, I have been active in fandom for about seven years. Uh, most of that time I've been writing Wolfstar. Uh, yes. Recently I've started writing some dreary. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> Very nice. Very exciting. <laughs> That's about it. I live in the Southern U.S. And um, mm -hmm. I have a small white dog opposite of my username. I was just going to say, I think like, that is hilarious. <laughs> Big black dog and her little and white dog. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Well, awesome. Well, obviously, we're here to talk about Wolfstar, which I know Nathan is really excited about because that's one of his OTPs. Yes. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I, I'm so excited because I, when I started reading, you know, Harry Potter fan fiction, these were the first ship that I really was into because, you know, uh, building off of book three and all the tension in that. And so, you know, I, I'm just personally really excited about it, but I'm happy to have someone here who reads it, who writes it, who is involved in it. And I get to talk about like the genesis of the pairing. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting to me. So I can't wait to sort of dive into, into finding more out about that. So are we... I'll be, you the, just... fly, I'll be the fly on the wall. Like, yes! Like, <laughs> like, oh, look at them. Look at that guy. Oh, I'm so, oh, I, right. I can't even wait. I am practically <laughs> bursting. Okay, so, so, did you, do you just want to like dive into questions? Yeah, Are you happy sure. with that? Yeah, okay, okay. So, um, I was going to ask uh, what first attracted you to fanfic and was writing Harry Potter fanfiction your first experience of fanfic? Um, it was. I think I was like 12 or 13 when I first started writing. Oh, 
you're one of those. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. good. So good. It yes. was a short-lived career because my mom found out and she was not happy. Oh, no. It was a little racy. Oh, just oh. a little. Wow. Okay, so what, what were you writing that was racy at like 12 or 13? I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't even remember what the, I know that it was self-insert. So it was like me and the Marauders and we were all friends. Um, It was like pretty classic 12 or 13 year old effort. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 I was there at Hogwarts. (laughs) That was definitely the vibe. Uh, That happened. I love that you were, you were already, (laughs) you went straight into the Marauders age 12. Because most people that I've talked to who've done that, Mm -hmm. they always start with like Harry, Ron and Hermione, or they're always, it's always like their OC goes to like modern day Hogwarts. But you went like, you were straight in with Marauders. You were just like, I know what I want. I know what I want to read. I know what I want to write. I'm going straight for it. I, I love that so much. I think I just immediately loved Sirius. And um, at the time, I don't think I would have been able to say what that attraction was. <laughs> now I feel like I was picking up on some queer cues from his character. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And Remus's character. And like, that was the attraction there. Um, whereas I didn't read that so much with the, the Golden Trio at the time. Now I totally do. They're all gay. Right. Yeah. We we make it happen. <laughs> we make it happen to everybody. Everyone's gay. Everyone's bi. Everyone loves everybody. That's just that is the Harry Potter series. <laughs> um. So I was going to ask, like, well, I was I was going to ask a different question, but I think I think I, I think I want to ask, like, what was it about Sirius? specifically that like because presumably even after you stopped writing initially like you would have gone back to Sirius and then gone okay it's this that I want to I want to focus on or I want to fixate on or whatever what was it about that character that like you you kept coming back to you thought oh I can flesh this out or explore this I I think the initial attraction was that like he's such a babe you know, yes. he's got yes. his motorcycle jacket. <laughs> he's so handsome. Yeah. yeah, and he's handsome. Mm-hmm. But the things that then I wanted to really dig into with that character are like, you know, the family difficulty that he was kicked out of Grimwald. Like, there's, yes. there's a lot there just even before all the tragedy of his yeah. adult yeah. life to dig into because he doesn't fit in like he's supposed to right he's rich Mm -hmm. handsome yeah um he's very bright um but he doesn't fit in right and who who doesn't want to tap into the rebel image every now and again Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's fun like to sort of envision yourself as somebody who's more rebellious braver yeah yeah Yeah. but i love that you had the presence of mind even at 12 to go i want to go straight (laughs) for the fun i know what i love i'm going straight for it like that Mm -hmm. that just i i love that so so much um so i i have to ask as well like other than Wolfstar, what's your what's your OTP? Like, do you do you have another pairing that you really love, um, or is it just? Is are we just talking like Marauders era? No, we, I am. I've been reading and writing dreary for like right. a mm-hmm. couple years. Yeah, um, I see it now. I see yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tension. The enemy's <laughs> yeah. so 
Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, F- I know Megs is a massive fan of Drury. So yeah. I mean, do you do you want to do you want to like chime in here? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I was just gonna joke. It's like okay, so every episode is whatever ship we're doing and Drury. Like that's literally <laughs> what happens. It's either. The ship and Drury and Snary. Those two always weasel those way that way in because if you don't know, those are my two like OTPs. So it's like Nathan will always be like, Hey, what do you think of this and compared to your other things? Like, well, why don't I? Like, why don't I just do this? But um yeah, no, I love I love Drury so much for that. I mean, as you say, once you see it, you can't unsee it. They've been obsessed with them each other forever. Obviously, it's because they're secretly in love with each other or they can't you know come to the realization for themselves Harry has no idea Ron and Hermione are over here whacking their heads on the wall like seriously man so it's just it's so much fun it is so much fun and post-war like you're not dealing with canonical tragedy like they win they survive yeah Mm -hmm. Wolfstar you don't get to do that they're dead (laughs) no god I mean unless they are dead I mean, they're dead unless they aren't. And I mean, sometimes they aren't. They aren't. It's fine. Because, because, you know, the fans have the power of, of, you know, resurrection or whatever. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes the plot idea or the character ideas are just too good to leave them dead. I mean, you know, so so sometimes it isn't. But I I get what you mean. You know, with Drari, it's very much you can uh, legitimise eighth year or like, I know we we here on the pod, we love our um, post-hog warts you know going off and exploring the world with each other <laughs> phases mm-hmm. so I, I definitely feel like you couldn't do that more with Drari um but I don't know I I just I, I start off with ideas or preconceptions about a ship and then by the time we've talked about them and looked into them I completely I completely ship it and stand it and whatever else mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. So my question then is, do you have a favorite three TP or multi-pairing, like a poly-pairing? Um, I love the idea of like Harry and Ginny getting married really young and then mm-hmm. both of them realizing that they're queer together mm-hmm. and then wow. tacking Draco onto that. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like Ginny would just like take the piss out of Harry so much. <laughs> But also be like really supportive. Like they still right. love each other so much. And she, yeah. she could just be like, just mean about like, <laughs> just really go after. Now you look at both of them. I could see Ginny and Draco just having a shit ton of fun just picking at <laughs> Harry all day long. I mean, they're yes. just going through life, like sitting at breakfast, just taking the piss out of him and just going back and forth. And Harry's just over here, like stabbing his, you know, stabbing his <laughs> potatoes. And it's just like, like oh my God, like what? It's like, why oh, have that's I done so much this? fun yeah <laughs> so much fun I love that so obviously you talked about Sirius and how much you love Sirius do you have a least favorite marauder you know I'm pretty basic uh I don't love Peter yeah <laughs> Peter who is Peter <laughs> yeah I'm one of the fans that's like he doesn't need to be in my fan art. He doesn't need to right. be in my fan fiction. <laughs> right, right. We can pretend that Peter does not exist. That exists. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, my that's fake, basically my choice. what the other marauders do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, see, it's funny because for me, when I, um, I only just, I think for the first time wrote a Wolf Star because one of my friends really likes Wolf Star. So I promised them that I would write it for them. And I did, I think I, yeah, I did bring in Peter and they're like, oh, why is Peter here? I'm like, well, he was their friend. Like he was their friend back then. Um, they did trust him enough to you know, to have him be the secret keeper. So even though he's like this spineless little guy, I mean, obviously they thought and felt a certain way about him that they felt they could trust him. So I can see why people don't want him there, but I love the, um, as I mean, I've talked in previous episodes, so just kind of to give you a background, I love making the unlikable likable like when I write fan fiction. So like if you see a character, you're just like, oh, how? No, they're not worth my empathy, sympathy, whatever. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, here I go. <laughs> so, but yes, that is definitely a very common thing. Or if Peter is mentioned, it's like, oh, Peter was like off at Gobstone's Club or something like that. <laughs> like he's there, but he's not with them. He doesn't get any dialogue. So it's just, yeah. I'm an off at Gobstone's Club writer. I'm like, oh yeah, Peter. Uh, he has remedial potions lessons to go to. Of course to he does. Uh, yes. Of yeah. course he does. <laughs> so is that the attraction to Snape as well? You said you ship Snape. Yes, definitely. And it's funny because okay, here we go. This is what I told you. This is what happens. So I, yeah, when I discovered Snary, I, I mean, I always hated Snape. I mean, I read the books and I hated him. I never thought that he was seen as a hero, um, especially at the end. And it wasn't until I read fan, fan fiction that I started seeing the layers to him as a character and the potential and the amount of fun you can have with a character like him and obviously make him more likable or empathizable than us just seeing him being dicks to kids through seven books. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I love about fic with villains in general or the unlikable is being able to be convinced this is why you actually should like them and actually them being dicks is kind of what makes them appealing. I don't know. That's just kind of a, that's me. That's my point of view. (laughs) But but I mean, you love the power of redemptive fic as well. And I feel like a lot of your, a lot of your snarry, um, obsession comes from the idea that Snape can be redeemed or that Snape isn't the same person that we know in the books because of you know other things or other factors in the story and actually that was going to be one of my questions to you was um like how do you feel about fix that redeem characters and specifically like fix that redeem Peter because I I already know he's not your (laughs) favorite marauder so I think I know what the answer is going to be but like by all means redeem Peter that's just not the work that I want to do as a fan (laughs) you do you you do you writers you do you readers I'm not out here being like Peter is unredeemable. Like, right. I I I love that that is a thing that we can do as fans. And mm-hmm. uh, I you know I haven't thought about it in regards to Peter so much because like I just don't care about Peter. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's not even there. <laughs> Perfect. He doesn't exist, so I can't redeem him. But exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. He doesn't exist, so I can't redeem him. I, that's what we need on a t-shirt. That, <laughs> that, that is, that's what we need right there. Oh god, I love that so much. Oh, oh. man. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. 
thought about it a lot with my dreary fic, though. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to take us off into dreary territory. Oh no, that's but, fine. Yeah, okay. that's fine. <laughs> I'm, it's fine. I will never say no. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw this post floating around on Tumblr, but it was a really interesting post about redemption arcs being like an essentially Christian framework. Where like people- I think I did. I didn't read it. I remember seeing it like reblogged, but I don't think I stopped and read it. But I am familiar with what you're talking about. Well, it was super interesting. Like just the concept of forgiveness is based on this idea that there's somebody out there like netting judgment about yeah. what's forgivable and what's not forgivable. And I love that with with Dreary. I love that with Draco especially because mm-hmm. like he turns. Before the end of the seventh book, like there's right. the, the manor scene, and then like it's so powerful that Harry uses Draco's wand to defeat Voldemort. Like mm. it's there, <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, and I, I, I feel like a lot of Draco redemption arcs, like we have to see him suffering first. Like we have right. to see him really. Um, and that's like our concept of forgiveness. Like if you're suffering mm-hmm. and you then you're allowed forgiveness. And I've been trying to write a fic where like he's not suffering. What if suffering wasn't like the benchmark by which we like understood people having yeah. remorse for their actions? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And of course now I'm thinking, okay, is there a fic out there about Peter's suffering? Like as a kid, like what was his life like? What kind of built him to make him who he was and made the decisions that he did because obviously there, you know, there were reasons for various things. So that's, uh, no, that's really interesting. One of my favorite Peter head canons is that like, he's in a, he's part of a really big family and he's one of the kids that's like shunted to the side. Oh yeah. He's oh, like the yeah. little, yeah. Like either the youngest or like the awkward one or something like that. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see yeah. that for sure. Um, I'm as I always bring everything back to the sacrifices arc, but I'm thinking of <laughs> I'm thinking of the sacrifices arc because there's this really so Peter's character in it is sort of um, essentially betrayed by Dumbledore, and because of Dumbledore's manipulation, uh, he gets framed for things that have happened, and he ends up spending years in Azkaban. But then Harry finds out that this has happened, and there's a redemption arc where. Peter essentially takes the fall for Dumbledore's manipulation. And when he figures this out, um, there's a really interesting uh, crossover there between Peter and Harry. And Harry having to reframe a lot of the guilt that he had put on Peter's shoulders and actually squarely lay it on the shoulders of his mother and on Dumbledore, which is really interesting. Like in my, I haven't read an awful lot of fic that does that, but I still really, I, I think it, it goes back to what you were saying about like, if we see a character suffering, we like can see some sort of road to innocence for them and, mm-hmm. uh, or forgiveness or, or what, you know, however you want to frame it. And I think it's really interesting to look at the same events that we've seen happen canonically, but reframe them in a different context and it completely changes the way we look at character. I love when that happens. Oh, that's my favorite. I love being like, hey, here's canon, but let's go behind the scenes. And these are the reasons why it happened that are completely not what you thought they were. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you, fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
So getting things into kind of the silly area, do you have any uh, favorite crack fic pairings? Like for kind of the more, I guess, goofy, fun, whatever, <laughs> fanfic, I guess. <laughs> I feel like Alistair Moody slash anyone is hilarious oh i want to see him with yes oh that's wonderful that's wonderful what if you like lived with him as your significant other and he's just like always constant vigilance like in the middle of breakfast yes in the middle of orgasm (laughs) in the shower (laughs) like you drop the spatula and he's just like like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's convinced he is convinced that the spatula is a transfigured death eater he's just like <laughs> feeding it for it to serum <laughs> no you're going to flip a pancake and it's of course oh, the weed made pancakes but it's like just flip a pancake and then the <laughs> spatula just explodes because it's like you know, just oh my goodness that is hilarious seeing domestic moody as just as well as going back like before he has um what is it nathan you're gonna you're in the process of writing a moody fic yeah aren't you? Yeah. yeah i am because i i feel like um so moody is codified as this uh really interesting you know we see him in his in his sort of post or days where he's really old and grizzled and he has essentially i i love looking at him as a, a metaphor for disability because you know he has the wooden leg and mm-hmm. the the magical eye and essentially all these sort of augmentations to his body but i love fic that looks at his early life and looks at how he's ended up in the position that he's in and you know the looking at his the way we explore his conceptions of vulnerability and things i mean i just i'm fascinated by that so i'm in the middle of i don't know if it'll it'll ever get written but i'm in the middle of (laughs) writing a a fic at the moment where he's sort of he's in so it's he's in the trunk in the seven-tiered trunk and he's sort of looking at all of the life decisions and everything that led up to that moment and i i don't know i'm fascinated psychologically by him i think he is a is a he's a great metaphor for disability in a way and that really that i don't know that really ticks my boxes but domestic <laughs> domestic moody is making me love him even more i i just is there anyone in particular that you see moody being shipped with wouldn't it be i mean is this for real or is it crack fit? Well, like, either what, whatever yeah, yeah yeah whatever you think <laughs> I think it would be hilarious if he was with Snape. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I was hoping you'd say something like that. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Oh, my Ah. God. Oh, those two personalities. Oh, Oh, have to be fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. (laughs) Because I, so, okay. So, I love fix where Snape and Lockhart get together and I feel like <laughs> and I feel like this could be another this could be Snape. another Snockhart oh. <laughs> right here <laughs> Smoody uh, what, what would the pairing Snooty. name be actually <laughs> Snooty yeah. Snooty it's absolutely Snooty yeah Snooty is it <laughs> yep oh. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, forget everything else I've just said. I need our listeners to send me Snooty. Fick, please. <laughs> we need it. We need Snooty. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Whew, I will calm down, I promise. 
sorry, I just, that image is just too good. I know the the visuals oh. I have right now is just like I just picture like Snape either like coming home from work and Moody asks you about his day and he's just like glaring at him and he's like, Well, I'm gonna tell you about all the shit that I did today and just like going, Oh gosh, it's just like oh man, oh geez. That's just hilarious. I love and that. I could, I could see that <laughs> oh, pairing bringing out see- Snape's like secret caring side as well, like brewing him potions that reduce his like pain or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I see the the potential for a lot of yeah, um, like f- unexpected fluff to happen in that pairing. Um, so I I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'm just maybe it's wishful thinking, but that's what I want to read. And also because like I mean. For most of us, we have been, like, we have the perceived notion that Snape is obviously unattractive. So, like, Moody has been through things, and he could probably have his own self-feeling of unattractiveness and things like that. And so them being able to, like, find each other, and even if neither of them believe it for themselves, their partner is helping them, like, feel seen and validated and loved regardless of who they are or what they look like, which I think is really... It's really sweet. <laughs> They've also both been in the trenches of yes. two wars. So mm-hmm. they have that to to bond over and and attack. Yeah, they have the they have the physical and the emotional battle scars <laughs> and it's time yeah. for them both to heal. And that is that it yeah, I I I want to read that. Please. I also I know that it was actually a Death Eater Polyjuice's Moody who turned Draco into a ferret, but I love the idea right. that they would both be like a little mean to kids. Like- <laughs> <laughs> that actually it would be funny though if it was literally fourth year and it was actually Moody and they were together and they're just like they go home at night like, Oh, so what'd you do today? Yeah. <laughs> <Just> like- <laughs> I poisoned Neville's frog. What did you do? What did you do today? Is that all? I turned a kid into a ferret. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so good. Or like, or like Snape says, oh, I poisoned Neville's toad. So Moody says, oh, now I have to give him a book on plant life to be, to balance it out. Like oh, rolling yes. his eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I got to fix this now. Like I have to yeah. pick up, I have to it's clean like, up your mess essentially. And then oh, he can be, man. he can be like, like rolling his eyes and say, and being like constant vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> questions and you know making sure that we treat you with the reverence that you deserve for writing such writing such fanfic gold i i really wanted to ask you like how much how much of your how much of your writing is like catharsis and how much is like purely just for fun like just because you have an idea and you want to get it onto the page or is it like a mix of both of those I, I would say that all of my wolf star fic is like pure catharsis. It's it's definitely like me having two big feelings and and needing to process them uh, with mm-hmm. a little distance because like once you put a character in between you and your big feelings, they're a little easier to pick apart yeah. and manage. My dreary, not so much. It's it's more just fun. And maybe that's just um, like a phase that I'm in in my life. But the Wolfstar mm-hmm. stuff, and maybe with Wolfstar, it's the characters. Like 
we don't have a lot about like their emotional states or their personality or how they process these big events. So like you can really just put your whole self into those mm-hmm. characters. Yes. They are a little less developed in canon than somebody like Harry, whose point of view we're seeing all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So I tend to make Remus, you know, he's he's the bookish one. Yeah. That's, that's the, the fanon characterization. So, you know, it, it's also easy to sort of make him into someone who's very sensitive and very um, thoughtful. And he also obviously has a lot of trauma that he deals with on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. Um, So it's very easy to put a lot of your own sort of difficult emotions into that character because he lives with a lot of difficult emotions all the time. Absolutely. I can relate to that so much. (laughs) I just like so much angst and so much hurt and so much, so many feelings and everything that I write. I just can't, I can't. I can't avoid it. It just happens. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Sometimes I'll sit down and I'll be like, this is the time that I'm not going to make people cry. Yes. And then, and then I make them and cry. Then, nope. Yeah. No, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Nathan can say firsthand. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can. I, I never, but I never expect that I'm going to cry, particularly if you start off with a, with a cracky scenario. But yeah. then like nine times out of 10, then the angsty stuff will hit. And I'm like, oh crap, I'm invested. Oh no. <laughs> you know, it, it just becomes, it just becomes a, a you know, a, a personal rabbit hole that you end up sort of going down. But it it's so worth it mm-hmm. when the story is ended correctly. Because this is another right. beef I have with fan fiction where some stories don't finish. And then you're like, or oh, they finish, but they don't end with a sense of catharsis that the emotions have built up. So I'm like, I have nowhere for these deep feelings to, to go. go. Yeah, they're just they're just here now. Like, what do I... They're on my shoulders. Like, how do I get rid of them? How do I make this okay? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How do you write your story? Yeah. That's, that's the little seed where you're like, okay, I'm going to finish this story in my own way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. Make your own ending. Absolutely. I, I just realized that nodding along is a really bad habit to get into for a podcast <laughs> where no one no one can see that I'm agreeing, but like it's it's still <laughs> happening. Listeners, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing very hard right now, but I, I feel like I feel like I need an auditory like mmm mmm. <laughs> the sounds of agreement. <laughs> Nathan's neck hurts really bad. That's how much he's agreeing right now. Yeah. <laughs> So, so since you love Wolfstar and Marauders in general, uh, how do you feel about time travel? And does picking Wolfstar, um, like as a central limit or your apparatus, forget, okay, I'm starting over. We're backing up. We're rolling back. That's that's too much Nathan in that question. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Okay, I wrote the questions. It's my fault. It is my fault entirely. (laughs) <laughs> because what <laughs> shit this is what right. happens breathe breathe it's Ooh. fine look at the okay so because Wolfstar is your OTP and you love Marauders era in general, how do you feel about time travel and them interacting with like other characters from other eras either coming back to that era? I usually go the AU route rather than the time travel route. I've never written time travel. Um I 
would rather make them live or be yeah. resurrected yes. Um, yes. than have those opportunities to deal and interact with, um, you know, Harry, Ron, Hermione. Um, yeah. So I've, I've never done the time travel thing because I'm always like, uh, they didn't die. They just yeah, didn't right. die. Why would so they have they to? are yeah. at dinner yeah. with Harry. <laughs> This is their going to Uncle Remus and Uncle Sirius's house. Like just (laughs) Saturday night dinners with the Weasleys and everybody. Mm -hmm. And Tonks is there with the, uh, oh, there's the, (laughs) and Tonks is there with her girlfriend and they're just having a great old time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. One big happy Polly family. Yes. Tonks and Teddy are there. Remus is, is part of their little unit. And he's also part of the unit with serious and hairy oh, and they're I love all that. Uh, eating lasagna oh of course they are yeah obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously. <laughs> and of course remus makes his own bechamel and it's all you know it's all homemade all the ingredients are like freshly sourced i i see it, I yeah. see it. <laughs> yes absolutely a bechamel yeah i don't need yeah. time travel because uh the bechamel is timeless absolutely. <laughs> yeah. oh absolutely yes. So we did a little bit of Snape talk, and of course, I'm really interested. Do you personally have any strong like Snape feelings or judgments as far as his character goes with the Marauders? Honestly, I haven't gotten into like the Snape discourse because from afar, what I see is that it gets so wanky so fast. It's so ridiculous. It's and so ridiculous. It's, like there's a big part of me that's like... In, in curating my fan experience, I'm just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting yeah. into that, <laughs> to that yeah. because people can get really ugly about it. Oh, um, for sure. But I tend, I tend to be, uh, you know, not aligned with the, the anti-Snape movement because um, I think that we need grayscale characters and we need yeah. difficult people. And, mm-hmm. and on top of all of that, it's fictional. He didn't actually yeah. use Neville Longbottom because there right. is no left Neville Longbottom. Exactly. Thank you so much. This is all fiction, regardless of yes. what it is. Like, I just, oh man. No, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I can see it from both sides personally. Obviously, I love Snary. I love Snape as a character in fan fiction, especially, but I can also appreciate Marauders' um, focused fic that kind of obviously see the negative sides of him too. I can believe that. I can believe them being bullies to him and vice versa. I see everything because anything and everything can be, can exist. And that's cool. Like I'm good with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what's so valuable about his character that he's like both Mm -hmm. suffered and done a lot of harm. And how do we reconcile those things? Mm -hmm. And we're willing to do that with Draco. He he has both suffered and done a lot of harm. So yes, um, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why not with Snape as well? For sure. Do we? Do you feel like it's because Snape is an adult, so we give we're willing to give him less wiggle room because we we expect that because he's been through more, we expect him to have more wisdom or something. That is a really good point. Yeah, one of the things that's easy to forgive Draco for is that like he's a literal child. Yeah. 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 Most of his decisions were based on what he thought he should do or what he was pressured to do or what he was raised to think and feel. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas with Snape as an adult, we feel like 
why are you still tormenting children? (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, we get it. Like, you were bullied. You had a shitty home life. Like, you've been having to pretend to be, you know, I mean, obviously, he's gone through a lot of shit. Like, I can go through, like, all of that that he must carry with him. But you don't have to take it out on children. Like, be angry. Be cranky. Be, like you know, traumatized, but man, don't, don't be a dick to kids. Like that's just, just don't do it. <laughs> that's a choice. The, there are things like in the, the tone of the early books is like a much more like childlike tone. And there's like a history in British literature, like Roald Dahl of like the oh, evil. Absolutely. And, and the, it's, the twits, it's, the twits, yeah. right? That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And it's just, it's really exaggerated. And we understand that like, because of that tone and we take it less seriously. Right. But then the yeah, because grew and changed. And then we have to grapple with the earlier content that we weren't taking so seriously. Now yes. we do have We're scrutinizing to it. it. We're bringing yes. a magnifying glass and yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas like when you're 11 years old reading that, it reads really differently. You're not thinking to yourself like, oh, Snape is abusive. You're just like, oh, right. the, the evil guy. Yeah, exactly. The bad guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, he's the mean teacher. I have a mean teacher too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I hate Mrs. Stevenson. Like, or something like that. Apologies to all the Mrs. Stevensons who might actually be listening. We're sorry. It's not intended at you personally. No, definitely not. Except for the one that is. Yes, exactly. Yes. The, Miss, the Miss Stevenson that lives at 1375. No, <laughs> Yes. If you're listening and you live near her, go and egg her house right now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, uh, we don't condone violence, but we do condone a bit of light egging. I don't. I'm a vegan. That's rude. <laughs> Maybe some toilet paper is fine. As long as it's recycled, um, that's totally fine. It'll biodegrade. I'm cool with some toilet paper. That's totally fine. <laughs> So, like, at what point does Snape graduate from pantomime villain to, like, to complicated human that we can root for, do you think? And does that, does the same sort of logic apply to someone like, sorry to bring it back to Peter Pettigrew, but does the same logic, does the Mm -hmm. same logic apply for someone like him? Or does, does Snape exist in a sort of vacuum, do you think? Um... When you say what, at what point the, the first scene that flashed into my mind is is that um, when Harry's getting the oculomancy lesson right. from Snape and Snape's working sure. memory, um, that changes things and it changes things for Harry too. Like you're all you're along the same ride with him where he's like, oh my god, my father really was a dick. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do yeah. with this information. Exactly. Yeah. So that that to me is the turning point where you're like, oh no. Right. He's, he's not just um, ragging on on Harry. There are, there are like really bad memories of like basically assault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that has to be like the whole his whole Hogwarts career. I mean, at that point, what they were it was OWL. So they were 15, 16 at that time, too. So he's been going through this for five, six years already. So it's just uh, 
Yeah, it's crazy to think. I mean, he's just bitter and he's just cranky about it. It's not like he's ever going to be vulnerable. He's just going to be like, yeah, your dad was a dick and I'm not going to tell you why because uh, he was. And Harry's just like, you're an asshole. But now it's like he's never going to be vulnerable with anyone. And that's what I love about fan fiction. I want to see what's going on in Snape's mind. Like I want him to break down and show me what he will never show anyone else. And that's, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Because can you imagine having, imagine first of like going through the trauma of being abused but then having to go back to the place that it happened to work and you know he's never moved on yeah he's literally he can't move on because he's still stuck in the place that it happened so every day a part of him has to be reliving what he went through and he still owns his parents house he still has Spinner's End. So he's still yes. at his childhood home where his childhood shit went down. Uh, I mean, good Lord. He is self-inflicting. His own, <laughs> is this man a masochist? Like, what yes, is going of on? Of course he is. He's just like, you are making choices, man. I mean, holy. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's okay. Hashtag that's wild. These wizards a therapist <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh, I think this was this brought up sometime somewhere. It was like, um, because we can't picture Madame Hooch doing anything. Because if she's only teaching flying lessons to first years, potentially, obviously she only has like two classes because if they're doing mixed classes between two houses at a time, so the rest of the time she's like kind of the career advisor or the therapist, but she's like not really good at her job. <laughs> like just like oh yeah madam hooch is there but she just doesn't she's just like oh yeah this is this is what they told me to do like a lot of sports talk chin up champ yes exactly go for the goal <laughs> bucket yeah bucket up yeah exactly <laughs> yeah feeling bad at the end of a rough day try flying into 50 mile an hour winds directly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scream oh. into the wind that'll help <laughs> exactly yeah i i can i can see that I also, I, I think all of her advice is going to be funneled through her own direct life experience, mm-hmm. which is that, what it, what is it she says when whenever they're talking about broomsticks? And she's like, oh, the old Comet 360s. Uh, or No, she talks about the silver arrows. She's like, nothing flies as well as the silver arrows they used to make. I sort of feel like... Uh, if only they had more silver arrows these days, these students wouldn't be going around with half these problems, you know? I just sort of feel like everything would come back down to fly straight into the wind, then you'll forget your issues. The second part of your question, the Peter Pettigrew part, I yes, feel like yeah. um, he's just more pitiable. Like, I don't, I don't remember mm-hmm. hating Peter in the books. I, I remember yeah. feeling really sorry for him. Like he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't. That's really interesting. Continue. Oh. Sorry. Well, he's like milking Nagini. Like to me, that seems like the worst chore in the world. I know. And what and what does that mean what for a snake? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. And There's like, so many so many questions. Yes. I, like I can't think of anything that I want to do less than milk a giant snake. <laughs> okay so i feel so i feel like from a practical point of view it is just extracting venom from a snake but it has some it has some dodgy connotations right it's not you know reading that you're like what what is actually happening but i i'm really interested about why you think peter was 
or is pitiable when when you read him. Because when I read him, I just read somebody who has very little backbone and who is manipulated. But to me, that doesn't make him pitiable. I I feel like that's a, a consequence of the choices he chooses to make. Because at the end of book three, he decides to, you know, run away and go off to Albania to try and find Voldemort again, you know, and set that whole plan in motion. That is a choice he made. So whenever he's milking Nagini, that is a direct result of... So, so, I'm so... A choice. <laughs> whenever he's doing that, he's like, yeah. oh, God. So, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. man. But, like, whenever... So, when, so whenever he is is d- extracting venom from Nagini. That is a direct result of a choice that he's made, right? I just feel like he's so afraid all the time. It's hard for me not to feel sorry for him. Like, he he does make really bad choices, but they're out of this place of, like, mortal terror. Yeah, but also self-preservation. Like, he's like, he, he just they the what is it serious or they mentioned like you just like having big friends to you know protect you or take care of you which could be true I mean literally is like just is happy to have someone be his wall between everything else and if someone comes up like Baltimore or whoever is like hey you better tell me or I'm gonna do a b and c he's just like oh fine like fine like no like it's there's no wall there anymore and it just dissolves for him so I feel like loyalty isn't as much a thing as the self-preservation aspect of having you know his friends the benefit of having those friends is the fact that they're they're there to protect him so but the way he dies like yeah the moment that he makes a choice against his own self-preservation right the hand chokes him yeah but like he does make that final choice for like yeah he's gonna protect harry oh oh, sure but i I don't want to get this to get (laughs) really deep but then nathan's like like, i get it but (laughs) yeah i get no i don't but i do i get it but at the same time i'm like does one good does one good choice at the end of someone's life make up for a bunch of bad ones it's the same it's the same problem that i have with that that i have with snape where it's mm-hmm. like when we learn that a lot of his motivations were through you know being in love with lily and arriving at that place i sort of feel like the same thing applies to peter where it i get that he is is making a choice against his own self-preservation and it is the good choice he's actively making a selfless choice here but i don't know personally that that redeems him for all the other stuff that he's done because if you think about it if he had just decided at the end of book three not to go scampering off to albania he he'd be he wouldn't be in any mortal terror because Mm -hmm. voldemort wouldn't be resurrected Mm -hmm. that's a very good point yeah yeah he (laughs) finds it right like he yeah Oh, goodness. Yeah, he finds him. He takes, like, um, he finds, what is it? Oh, gosh, what's her name? The, like, from the ministry. Um, oh, oh Bertha Jorkins. Bertha Jorkins, like, finds her and brings her to Voldemort. Like, it's like he's he's doing shitty stuff. Like, he's just like, oh, yeah, and he's just going to watch her be tortured for information mm. until literally into through insanity until he kills her and does whatever with her and she's gone i mean (laughs) 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 oh boy oh my 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 so anyways wolf star (laughs) yes 
Sorry, we, we've gone a little bit off topic. Um, See, I, this I is what happens. This is just what yeah, happens. We, we, yeah, we do this every week. It, it's really a... We, we have to apologise to you. We did have Wolf Star-related <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh, yes. So do you want to ask or will I? <laughs> so you had mentioned earlier when you were younger doing self-inserted fic. Do you have any other like original characters that you like to write? Or is it primarily kind of getting yourself in there? Do you play around with anything like that? Um, well, now the self-insert that I do is just putting all my feelings into an existing character. Um, so I, I feel less of a need to make an OC to put those feelings mm-hmm. in there. I'm like, I am serious. What? Yeah. yeah. Serious is me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I do have like some small cameos characters that I've really enjoyed. Like in one fic I have in my Raising Harry fic, I have a character who's a single mom who shows up for like literally a paragraph, but I just yeah. love her. Oh, that's so oh. nice. So then is that a Remus serious Raising Harry fic? Is that what Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's oh, so cute. Yes. <gasps> Tell us about that one. What was it? We haven't really talked about the raising, like the raising trope. Like uh, I love that. I love a Raising Harry trope. I love that like <laughs> but all of them, all three of them have been through some hugely traumatic events. They right. basically lost each of them, everyone that they really love um, in losing James and Lily and then Peter. So the idea of like these three broken individuals coming together in like a found family situation is just like it cures all my ills. It, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wiping tears. 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 <laughs> oh, that's just, so beautiful. I love it. And I, I love uh, in my raising Harry, like they struggle a lot with learning how to be parents and like grieving the loss of their friends and Harry's parents. And um, Mm -hmm. I really focused on like the trauma that Harry has experienced because I think a lot of times we think that like very young children are more resilient than they are. um, Right. Just because they can't speak their needs or um, articulate their feelings in the same way. We think that they are less affected by um, big trauma and and, um, they're not like they're affected even more so because their brain development gets affected um so I I really enjoyed writing that aspect of my raising Harry because I care about tiny children and their (laughs) well-being I should have mentioned I'm a kindergarten teacher oh that is so wholesome okay I need a little cry break (laughs) what's the name of that fic uh, it's holding out. It's called holding out. Awesome. We will definitely link to that baby for yes. sure. I'm excited to read that. I remember seeing it listed and being like, okay, I'm, that's a two read. Um, oh, so another question that I have taught. So when you, you talked about Remus as kind of a more like, um, I mean, all of them are broken, obviously a little bit more vulnerable, been through a lot of trauma. So let's say from the aspect that obviously Wolfstar was a thing during school, like either they were together and then of course the Lily James thing happened and they all believe that Sirius did it and he goes to Azkaban. How do you feel Remus handled those 13 years? Oh, um, 
I have this headcanon that like Remus got really into drugs. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's a mess when like he shows up like with his like old trunk and, and old robes. I mean, regardless of the werewolf thing, where has he been? Who's been helping him? Like, what Absolutely. has he been doing? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I could definitely Ooh. see that. Yeah, I feel like he really, uh, like, went to a really dark place, really struggled a lot for several years. And um, and what we see in the beginning of uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is, like, how he's been living his life, it just, like, in tatters. Yeah. Right, because we constantly get descriptions of him as really drawn and gaunt and you know wearing patched clothes and everything Mm -hmm. is frayed and he's constantly graying and that a lot of that description is really analogous with people in recovery as well and Mm -hmm. I never even put two and two together until you just said that that is such interesting headcan you see this is why we do interviews yes (laughs) let's let's do this more often I know yes ideas yes Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because his his main friend group, Sirius, either his significant other, James and Peter, Lily. Peter died because Sirius killed him potentially. Lily and James died because of Sirius. I mean, he has no one. But I'm also curious because they were technically... Ugh. Uh, they were technically involved-ish like in um, the Order of the Phoenix back then, right? Like they were in Moody's picture but the weasleys said they weren't even though they were older Mm -hmm. like didn't molly say that they weren't involved last time i'm just wondering who was left from that group that either he could have gone to or relied on or been supportive with i mean obviously frank and alice were tortured but i want to say at a later time because that was when after the downfall so i don't know that's i'm also curious about all those other characters and and yeah where did where did he go i I feel like no one because um he he also has this secret that he has to keep about being a werewolf yeah you know it's the only people in hogwarts who know are dumbledore and the four marauders and and he's able to come at the beginning of Prisoner Azkaban and it's a big secret, then I'm feeling like he's not sharing that with anyone. So even if he had people in his life left, they wouldn't know this giant thing about him that he has to hide in order to be accepted. So that's like having no one at all. I know. Imagine how imagine how complicated it must feel for him to be to have Snape know and then to be so grateful to Snape for brewing the wolf Spain every month, Mm -hmm. you know, and to have to have to have to have that gratitude and sort of graduate from being potentially you know, quasi-mortal enemies to mm-hmm. come to this understanding of even my former like arch enemy now has to come to my rescue. That has to be really, I mean, it's already lonely for him. That has to be really mentally difficult. This is why I struggle writing fluff because I don't know how that works. There is so much emotion <laughs> and pain and brokenness in all of these characters and I just can't, I can't see it. I mean, I love that people can do it and make you feel good and whatever, but I'm just here like eating up all this drama. I could eat it all day long. I love it. So then another question that I had, um, so do, when it comes to Remus and Sirius, do you see Gary Oldman and David Thewlis as like good representations of them? Or how do you feel as far as like headcanon goes? Yeah, I don't because uh, they're 21. 
when all of this right. goes down. And yes. then when Harry meets them, they're supposed to be 30. And I- I'm turning 30 this year. <laughs> Do I yeah. look like them? So- yeah, same. I'm like, <laughs> where, are the- <laughs> where are the marauders when we meet Harry? Like- <laughs> right, yeah. And like so much of the tragedy is that their entire adult lives and, and their entire youth has been taken up fighting this war and and that Sirius his entire adult life he's been in prison like I feel like you just get so much more the tragedy of it all when you see them as really young people who have given up their whole lives to fight this cause and that's where for me especially with like the Snape's memory and Snape's trauma aspect of it's easy for Harry to think, well, gosh, that was only three or so before the years before they died that my dad was having him strung upside down. Showing, like, how can he, that much little time kind of switch who Harry could see or think, even how serious and Remus and his father are? Because they were so, it's like, oh, we were young. And Harry's like, you were my age. And then a couple years later, I mean, this is, you're supposed to be like these great people. I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because it's the opposite from when we see like those high school movies where they like cast like 25 year olds to be 15. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, so yeah, I'm hoping if and when obviously either a, a series or reboot of movies and whatnot that they actually do, you know, age appropriate things because I think that's a really powerful part that we don't really focus enough on because we even though we get it in the books when we see it now we have that disconnect of like, oh, yeah, they, they're so much older. And it's just it wasn't that way at all. Right. And uh, I think a lot of that as well is heightened by the fact that sometimes with in interviews with actors after the fact, they they say, oh, well, I didn't really know a lot about the character before I signed on to play the part. Uh, yes. I know Michael Gambon said that about Dumbledore. And that really annoys me because I'm like, you. Yeah. You... Gary Oldman, same thing. He had yeah. like, read the books. Yeah. Not until the very end. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> I, I know people obsess about Gary Oldman and not without reason, yeah. but I yeah. do think that you have to, regardless or not, regardless of whether or not they're they're acting well, you have to ask yourself: Are they being true to? How can they be true to a character they don't know? Essentially, you yes. know. Um, and I I definitely picture different people in those roles, and I'm glad that you I'm glad that you picked up on that because it's it's one of my pet peeves is when actors just they don't know the role before they they take it on, and then it becomes you know it it very obviously for me became Gary Oldman doing serious rather than this is serious black. For me, that's just my opinion. I, I know there are going to be listeners that disagree with me, but, but you know, get in touch with me and we'll yeah, talk exactly. about it. <laughs> I know, exactly, exactly. We can take it, we can take it. I feel like that's one of the things that fan art gets really right, is that you do have <gasps> yes. really yes representations of these characters. They they look their age in, all, in most of the fan art that I've seen. So I yeah. had canon a lot of, 
the fan art that I've seen is as what yeah, those characters look like. It's interesting because, of course, I'm not like super familiar. I haven't been. It's not till recently that I've really discovered or looked into Wolfstar. But with a lot of fan art that you bring that up, Sirius does have all those tattoos that they give him from the movie. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that was a pre-existing thing before the movie, or if that was pu- that was pulled from the movie. Because I don't know. Like I don't know that we would have known or seen anything like that without that representation from the films. Yes. You, yeah, that's a really know. good point. I think they do use the movie tattoos. Yeah. And it's interesting because then it's like, oh, did he have them in school? Or was it kind of one of those like prison situations of like, yeah, they're like giving each other. But they can't be. I doubt. I don't see them interacting with each other. Like with when it comes to Azkaban, I just see them. They're each individually in a cell separated from one another. I mean, who knows? But I mean, th- they're great. <laughs> well, and the rest of them are Death Eaters. Yeah. Like is Sirius getting a tattoo from Bellatrix? No. <laughs> oh god yeah oh for sure no but yeah because i i was thinking about that i'm like i'm pretty sure that was a movie thing first but when you see remus like you get kind of the blonder hair all the scarring all over his body um which i i mean i love at first i was like why is he covered in scars and then i'm like why is he not like why (laughs) of course he's covered in scars he's a freaking werewolf so it just that was funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's just yeah it's been fun getting um back into like looking through fan art and things like that and the representation of a lot of headcanon of characters and then how it overflows into how other people see it like it influences other people so it collectively we might see them a certain way and it just that's what we we know to be true which is also really cool to think so the fandom is amazing i mean we create what we want and we bond over what we want and we reject what we want to reject which is also great so it's just yeah yeah i especially love in in fan art where um they're drawing Sirius and remus as characters of color like that is one of the best parts of fandom one of the best parts of fan art is like reimagining these characters as ourselves brown mm-hmm. people people mm-hmm. who are disenfranchised people who didn't get to be a part of the the private school british <laughs> drama yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah absolutely exactly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure yeah i absolutely am 100 percent. they're ours we can do whatever we want with them it's just it's great I don't want to get too nerdy with a with a moment like this, but but <laughs> shipping. The, so the first ship came from Star Trek, and one of the reasons I love Star Trek so much is that its creator Gene Roddenberry said, "What when asked what his vision for Star Trek was, he said infinite diversity in infinite combinations." And I feel like this is what this is what fanfic, especially you know in the Harry Potter universe and everything else, mm-hmm. re- it really carries on that tradition of like how much can we push the envelope. And I I love seeing the combinations that people come up with Mm -hmm. because, you know, people's ideas aren't going to match your own and your own headcanon. But that's why it's great because where where there isn't any overlap, you can grow to understand a character from a completely different perspective. Like I, my headcanon wasn't that Remus was into drugs but I can totally see that now Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and I sort of and I want to read more about that character you know and this this probably like branches off into a discussion about how much of character is set and how much is how much can you you change it but I really like I'm really interested by 
uh, how much is is communal and then how much is personal. But and the communal part of fanfic is is another really wonderful thing because it's so anti capitalist. It's so against mm-hmm. the idea of yes. intellectual property and ideas being owned by certain people and and so much more in tune with like for the most part like I was an art history major so like until the renaissance all of the art that people made was collectively owned Mm -hmm. and then we have this western idea that it belongs to one person and one name and that's their idea and their property um which you know coincided with the rise of like the middle class and capitalism and before and so like it's just it's such a capitalist construct that like these ideas don't belong to all of us mm-hmm. and i love i love that we all get to play and yes. it is like communal building of a character i love the like the fandom ideas that like just get proliferated like the hogwarts eighth year that's yes. genius mm-hmm. it's magical mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. wonderful i love that we can all write an eighth year fic and it's not plagiarism or right copycatting or anything like that exactly because I mean a lot of us obviously we read certain things that we love and it inspires us and we want more of it and then we make it and it's just it's just sharing with one another I I mean if I read something that I love I'm gonna want to read more of it even if it's written similarly or slightly different the point of view always shifts depending on who's doing it and I just oh I love that so much and I feel like it's a better reflection of how humanity works. Like we as people evolve uh, and come to, uh, you know, espouse different ideologies, philosophies, whatever. And I, and I feel like fan fiction allows characters to evolve beyond the limits of, you know, what canon sets. So the characters don't just end after book seven that our only exposure to them isn't just what's on those limited number of pages or whatever it's that's the starting ground for a lot of other great ideas and i feel like that really the world can open up so much because you have these shared elements that you can pull from in in a in a load of different directions i mean mm-hmm. we could talk for we could talk for weeks and still not you know <laughs> begin to even crack the top of that iceberg and that that to me is magical in and of itself because we you know we aren't just static human beings we're not just going to have the same opinions now that we will always have mm-hmm. and fanfic i think for that reason will it'll always be a great way to come back and reevaluate and re uh, interpret our analysis of what's going on with these characters you know what they're going through and why they're still important god i can waffle <laughs> i know <laughs> and something is re- and in regards to like fanfic and the fandom especially for us like on discord and who are writing and reading now it's funny to see and discover like nathan and i met and we're like oh yeah we're both 31 and everyone's like around 30 years old because we were there when the books like started coming out and we we just haven't stopped we're just like yeah this is literally who we are <laughs> this is who we are and we'll probably we're gonna be 60 doing something harry but I just, there's so yeah. many ships so i've been joking with nathan that it's like yeah we're gonna be 80 still doing this podcast so it's just uh yeah it's so much fun and that we can what would be so terrible about that <laughs> nothing absolutely nothing <laughs> Oh, so good. So we had mentioned the um, obviously raising Harry trope. Are there any other specific tropes that you really love when reading or writing? I love fake dating. Oh, 
Give me that fake dating <laughs> trope. Oh my goodness. I oh yes. And, and like the most contrived, ridiculous reason. Yes. Sign me up. I love it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I haven't asked myself, like, why is it a fake date? But like, oh, it always gets me. Now, is that for yeah. a wolf star or dreary or anything just in general? I, for me, it works better with dreary because it right. has to be something that like, you know, some some reason to get these two kids who hate each other. Right. <laughs> to come room. together. Yes. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like with wolf star, they've grown up together. They yeah. know everything about each other. It just comes down to them to like, just confess your feelings already. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Seriously. Like, James wait, over here like, really... serious, serious madude. Like, what are you doing? Stop talking to me about yes. it they just need the tiniest shove into yeah. into their loving exactly. relationship whereas draco mm-hmm. and and harry need a, a great big shove yeah huge yes and, and the, there there was only one bed a classic mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. yes there was only one bed uh there was only one class um having to having to care for the fake baby together um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the most contrived reasons to put people together. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, like there are there are ones where oh I read one where they get together because they both accidentally end up on the same night bus and then oh I, I love how how farcical people's imaginations are. Mm-hmm. It's so it appeals to my to to my inner inner sense of stupid i love it so much yes and the more contrived it is the more romantic you're mm-hmm. like they just want to date each other like yeah yes. it's just like, like oh it's just oh it makes me smile <laughs> oh and um and a couple of your fic obviously that you wrecked and as i was going through your stuff so you had mentioned you like au so you have definitely have some like non-magic au that you've written and what draws you to the back to that and what do you love about getting into something completely unrelated to i guess the original world um well, I, I mean, first of all, I write a lot of self-insert. So mm-hmm. my main concern is not often like expanding the magical world. I, mm-hmm. I love fics that do that. But in my own writing, I tend to, I'm expanding my inner world mm-hmm. of, of the Hogwarts world. So any situation um, that I can put them in that helps me work through my feelings. Right. <laughs> um, sort of my goal. Um and especially, um, I'm Latina, um, mm-hmm. and I live in the Southern United States. So, mm-hmm. uh, I live in a very heavily Mexican area. Uh, so that's my world and I want my world to be part of their world. Um, yeah. and I, I love the like radicalism of that act of like putting Brown people in like the canon of Western literature where we're often left out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I love an AU for that reason, because I can make them brown. Uh, and and I don't have to think of contrived reasons for how this Mexican kid ended up in the Scottish wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Because I don't yeah. think there are any, unless I'm, unless I am just doing a really bad job of remembering, I don't <laughs> think there are any like Mexican Hogwarts students, are there? No, not that we know of. I mean, maybe they're all in Hufflepuff. Yeah. Of course, of course, <laughs> they're all in Hufflepuff, and Hufflepuff doesn't get enough credit. Are you Hufflepuff? Oh yeah. Ah, there we go. Yeah, I'm a Slytherin. <laughs> 
And Nathan's a Ravenclaw. I yeah, I'm, I'm a Raven. That's why he's like, I, not to nerd out. Like, okay, he's you're gonna nerd out. Like, just just start yeah, already. Yeah, I, I yeah, and then I go off on big soliloquies that last for about eighteen pages front and back. But we we we, we, we get there. It's fine. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you make such a good point about like representation and. Mm-hmm. Is it, it like is it something that you do as a writer consciously or is it or has it evolved into you just write what you see around you and what you want to have happen to talk through essentially what you're going through and that happens as a as a byproduct of it um a little bit of both because I, I I think more the second that like I just want to talk about what I'm going through and the things that mm-hmm. are relevant to me in my writing, uh, and so you know those things are uh, naturally going to include more diversity than what we see in the book. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it there is also an awareness that like other people want to see that content for them for themselves. That like there are other brown kids out on the internet who are like, where am I in this story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's it's done mostly for me, but not without an awareness that like that's meaningful to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a practice that's really necessary in our reading and writing. For sure. Do you have any questions for us? Like, do you have anything that you want to pick our brains on? I I wondered um, for you, like I, I include a lot of my uh, Latina perspective. I wondered what things you guys, what perspectives you write from that are maybe not included in the original canon like what do you what do you bring to the text that falls under that umbrella of diversity or inclusion or or where do you where do you not get to see yourself in the text that you then bring yourself for me it's definitely mental health um i have bipolar disorder so i have been in the you too So I've been in the darkest of dark. I've been in the highest of high. Um, So to be able to dive into the really tough stuff, like stuff that's really hard to talk about or really hard to understand or realize someone lives this for real is really important to me. And that's why I really love, I have have so many emotions because of it. Like, and there was a, a bunch of years of my life that I felt no emotion whatsoever. I'm sure you've, you know, that's, you go through that of feeling so much or so little all at one time. And that's what I bring to all of my stuff. That's why everything I write is so deep and so heavy because that is just, I carry that with me all the time. And so I'm able to, because I've lived it, obviously I can make it genuine for characters and I believe it helps other people understand and feel things. And that's where it comes down to empathizing with a character you wouldn't normally empathize with. I mean, it's for the faceless that have been through things that you didn't live through and you didn't know or understand were something they had to live with. And this is what how they came out of it and survived it, I guess you could say. So definitely the mental health side of things because that's that's huge for sure yeah i really relate to that so for me um i i definitely have a an interest in disability so i use a wheelchair um i have grown up with cerebral palsy um and i feel like 
just from the perspective of so I'm and I'm gay as well so you don't you don't grow up gay right, and yeah. disabled <laughs> without having without you know, without developing a certain perspective on you know what it is to be other or or mm-hmm. you know outside of the conventional sphere of you know w- what is considered normal and so for me I'm really interested in perceptions of otherness of alterity of the the sort of the fringe character I love I I love anything angsty with a lot of emotional resolution. Mm-hmm. I love when we get to see, you know, what's happening with characters psychologically that then can get them in a better place physically. I love I do, I love all of that stuff because it's so like I just think from my own perspective from living this life I get to live my life day to day in a very different way than most people would I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. and I and I I I enjoy it but I also it also leaves me curious for other perspectives constantly as much as I'm all about channeling my own thoughts and feelings and what's going on with me, I love fan fiction because it's like, how do, how do other people manage? How does, Mm -hmm. how does the other half live? You know, and it's given me such a curiosity for how do you, how do you be other, but also be other in a way that's relatable to everybody? Mm -hmm. Because I was, I had this discussion once where I was like, the, the, the biggest human irony is that loneliness is such a universal experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, so sorry, sorry to like be really, <laughs> to be really heavy about it, but I sort of feel like that is a we're all lonely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I sort of feel like that is a way that we that that's something that we instinctively know, but we we don't really tend to examine. And I mm-hmm. think that even like that, even something like that, fan fiction can take and do really well. So that's why I am interested in in this. That's why I love uh, hanging out in this world. It's not just because I get to talk to a bunch of amazing people. Yeah. It's because because all of our stories matter and all of our mm-hmm. perspectives matter. And being in a in a sort of a world that understands that is massively you know important and beneficial to me. And it just does my does my heart good. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Ah. Oh. Well, this has been so much fun. I had such an amazing time. We are so glad you were able to join us. I I mean, yeah, I said tangents happen. They, they completely <laughs> happened. Um, Wolfstar was there. If you, um, if you look closely, we did talk about Wolfstar. That was here. That was a thing. Uh, but yeah, this is just like a piece of, we're going to be doing a series of Wolfstar episodes just because it's, a big one and so many people love it and I know that people wouldn't want to get enough of it uh but yeah thank you so much to Big Black Dog for coming on and talking all of this with us it's been so much fun thank you so much thank you for having me yeah Yay! Yay! So to everyone else, most likely, pretty sure the next episode will be Wolfstar. If it's not, I'm sure whatever it is will be really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so any of the stuff we talked about, or if you have any um, interest in looking into Big Black Dog's works, we'll put a link to their profile in the description. And I'm sure you could easily find them on AO3. Uh, and we'll post a couple of the um, related fix that 
we sort of discussed on this episode too. So let us know your thoughts and we can't wait to hear from you. Send us a tweet, Magical Ship Pod. Uh, emails are great too, careofmagicalshippers at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Yay! Bye! Bye! <laughs> these sign-offs are always really awkward i know they are i'm like here we go yeah Yeah, exactly i do my best i do my best (laughs) while you're waiting for the next episode all the shipping fun can continue online you can head over to all of our social media platforms like magical ship pod on twitter and instagram and care of magical shippers on tumblr you can get in touch with us by email at careofmagicalshippers at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voice message with all of your ship and fic thoughts and feels and have the chance to be featured on a future pod episode. We are also live on Patreon. Patrons have access to early episodes, bonus content, extended uncut episodes with all of our nonsense, ficlets written by me, exclusive merch, and a patron discord. Another easy way to show your love for the pod is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much for listening.